Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 372. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Rakestraw. Hey, Kevin. Hey. What's going on? Yeah, you know, pretty much the same. Nice. Good. Except it's really hot now. Yes, now it's it is. Really hot. Yeah. So that's cool. Uh, so I moved recently. I moved down south. So I'm, I'm at the beach now, which is very hot. It is crazy hot here. I'm also in a. I'm obviously also in a new room, so it might may sound a little hollow right now because I haven't still in the process of like getting everything set up. Hmm. I apologize if I sound a little bit more echoey than I typically do. Do it, do it live from the beach. I could. I really could. Beach uh, podcast. Beach podcast. Film beach podcast. Uh, this week on the show, we'll be taking a look at Kelly Reichardt's latest first cow. We'll also be going over someone watching on the watch list and who releases on VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That would be super helpful. With that, I think we can dive into First Cow. I have a synopsis here. A skilled cook has traveled west and joined a group of fur trappers in Oregon, though he only finds true connection with a Chinese immigrant also seeking his fortune. Soon the two collaborate on a successful business. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just sounds like such a like nice, you know, lighthearted, heartwarming story. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, <laughs> Kevin, we'll start with you. What were your initial impressions on First Cow? Well, it's not that. <laughs> it's not. I mean, it is, it is slightly heartwarming. Mm-hmm. I mean, at its core, it's heartwarming. I think but, so. Uh, it, it, things don't end well. And you kind of, you know, I, I I did enjoy the way that this is structured, because honestly, this is pretty pretty simple, straightforward story. You know, this is based off of the novel by Jonathan Raymond, who Kelly Reichardt's worked worked with before, and is at 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 the basic level, this is a really really simple story. You know, he's Cookie Figowitz, which is maybe the best name Definitely. I've ever heard. It's an incredible I wish name. My name was. I wish my name was Cookie Figuitz, but I'm just going to be honest. I wish that was my name. So he's out Pacific Northwest, and he's played by John Megaro, and he meets up with Orion Lee, who plays King Lou, and they develop this, you know, just deep friendship with each other, looking out for each other and everything. And uh, they want, they have their dreams, and they. They start stealing some milk from the titular first cow. There is a cow that shows up, get that milk stolen, and they make some like donuts, which look incredible. And they start making some money. And it's all very, very simple. And I do love that this feels, it doesn't feel like a heist movie, really, per se, like what you would normally think of. But a lot of this, I was on the edge of my seat. Like, I know they're going to get found out. You know mm. they're going to get found out. Right. But I just like on the edge of my seat, just like my heart was racing, like, oh, my God, they're going to get found out. Come on, guys. Just give it up. Stop being greedy. Just let it go. It, so yeah. It, to me, it's just a very interesting experience because you have that Kelly Reichert um, overall feel that you mm-hmm. have with her movies where yeah. even if they are kind of dark or – you know, good things don't happen, but they are very soothing. There's just a nice, like, atmosphere to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I 100% agree with you. Like, this is the type of movie that just sort of washes over you. It's very, like Kelly Reichardt's other films, it's very deliberately paced. And I think for for some people that may be problematic, but for me, and in pretty much all of her movies, I find it to be incredibly soothing. And... Like I'm just glued to the screen anytime, you know, one of her movies yeah. comes on. I just, I love her, how she structures and paces her movies. It's, it's so, it's, it's slow, but it's, um, it, it feels, as I said, so deliberate. Yeah. And I was actually sort of reminded now the, the, the story is very different and the structure is different and all of that, but I've sort of reminded, I felt the same way when I watched Patterson the Jim Jarmusch movie where I just felt good watching it. Like I was just like, yeah, there's this, this kind of calming effect 
around this movie where I'm just like, oh, this just this movie just feels so good. And yeah. like I just really enjoyed myself throughout the whole the whole thing. And like you, like I knew, I mean, from the opening, you know that things don't necessarily end well for these guys, but um you you want to see it through. You like you want them to succeed. And I think that comparing this to a heist movie is is sort of apt because when you look at it, it, it is almost structured like a heist movie where, you know, they have their first taste of it. They, they, t- they, t- they take the milk once it's a big hit. They make some money and then they get that greed going where they got to have more and more and more and taking more milk and being a little bit more aggressive with it when they could have just cut and run. Yeah. And you know that their downfall is coming. Yeah. And it's especially when once, you know, the first cow is cheap factor brings in the first cow. He's played by Toby Jones. And he's the, you know, he kind of owns everything in this area. He's the one with all the money. Everyone else is just trying to make ends meet either by fishing, uh, fur trapping or whatever it is. So, and he comes over to them and he, you know, he hears about these, these oily cakes. So he has to try one out. Absolutely delicious. So he's like, I need a coffee teeth. I have someone coming. Can you bake that for me? And I'm just thinking, guys, he knows that you have to use milk for this. Like, you, <laughs> yeah, like where how, else are you getting the fucking milk it, from? It, is, like, it is literally the only cow in the West at this point. <laughs> and that was just, I was like, oh, God, guys, don't, don't. But, you know, like Cookie says, it's like, you can't say no. But at the same time, it's like, you could say yes and then just disappear. <laughs> just leave. <laughs> Yeah. Find another cow somewhere. And by this point they have a lot of money. Like they have they're they're yeah. They're loaded. I mean for for that area during that time, they have a, they have a ton of money. They could easily leave and you know, get set up with a shack somewhere and probably set up they could they probably have enough to buy a cow and you know, yeah. set set up a legit business. But no, they no, yeah, they, they push going. their luck. They push their luck a little bit. I completely agree with you. Like in terms of the the pacing of this movie and the overall feel of it, you know, the calming, kind of soothing effect that this film has. I think, like you said, that you know Kelly Reichardt's movies always kind of have that. But I feel like this movie is like the perfect culmination of all those things, mm-hmm. especially in terms of the cinematography. The aspect ratio, mm, oh, the, yeah. the the character of Cookie Figowitz, just like the the force itself, it just it all works perfectly. William Tyler's score, like I could have just watched Cookie Figowitz pick mushrooms, I think for an hour and you know twenty minutes, and I would have been like, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I think one thing that she does that's that she does so well is supplementing the story with these like kind of tertiary things in the world. Um, I hesitate to say world building, but that's kind of what it is. Like she, she'll just show like this random person just doing some work and we'll focus on that person for just a few moments, you know, just, just to show, you know, what's, what's happening in this, this specific, this very specific part of the world during this time. And I think showing these like slight moments does so much to to add to the overall aura of the movie. I, I think that that's one of the things that is she does so well in in all of her films. Yeah, and plus, as you said, the camera work, the cinematography, all of that is incredible. Uh, there is, if I'm not mistaken, there's this really incredible dolly shot that she does that kind of blew my mind when I was watching. I was just like, oh, it's just so perfect. It's like perfectly placed dolly shot that just looks so good. Uh, and there were, there were a few moments where I was sort of just like, yes, <laughs> like this movie, this movie looks so gorgeous. Yeah, pretty much any time they were in the forest, just like the ferns and stuff, I was just like, yes, I want yeah. to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess trying to come up with some criticisms for this. Um, I don't know if I really have it, I, to be honest. I I don't either, necessarily. Um, 
No, I, I, I don't really have anything too negative to say about it. Yeah, I mean, there were some things that were slightly disappointing. Um, like at the beginning, seeing Lily Gladstone's name in the credits. Like, oh, okay, cool. And then, you know, she's there for like a split second. And yeah. Gone. And she's like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I, I could use more, but I guess I just, it's not like it was, you know, it was promised to me in any way whatsoever. Like, I, but, you know, at the same time, it was just it was a little bit disappointing. Same with uh, Shellcat at the beginning. Yeah, I would say. Um... Like, oh, okay. Well, that would be a little bit more, but no. But what I did get is fine. Everything that I did get is good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think it was interesting how in the opening scene when Aaliyah Shawcat finds the the bones in the woods and she like instantly digs it up and I was thinking would I do that? No, I don't think I'd do that. I would probably no. call the police. Yeah, <laughs> why she well, digging why up the <laughs> digging up bones? Fucking touching bones? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would probably avoid that. Uh, I was I was. Maybe maybe expecting a little bit more of the cow because, and I think that it, that has more to do with like A twenty four's marketing around this, how they're really putting a focus on the cow itself. But the cow doesn't really do too much; uh, it just yeah. kind of stands around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a nice cow. It's a good cow. Good cow. Cow does a good job when it's on screen. But yeah, you're right. There's not. I mean, it's tied to a tree. You can't really blame the cow. Yeah, she's fast as fast as fucking asshole. And I think that's the that's what I really like about this movie is in terms of you know it on the surface very very simple, and you can enjoy it surface level, but just the kind of this, um, I guess I could say exploration of like capitalism in America where everyone kind of had these dreams of going west and like getting started and even uh, the King Lou character kind of saying like, oh, history's not here yet. We got here before history did. You know, we can kind of set out our own our own path and kind of change things and do things differently than the rest of the world. But you see that with Chief Factor being there, like everything is already like in the process of getting settled into the way it is everywhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's, you know, what what are the rich people's fashions? We're going to be, everything's going to be based off of that commerce wise. And just the fact that he has, he bought a cow just to have cream. That's it. Just to have cream for tea, for his tea. He's not selling it. He's not doing anything else with it. He just wants cream for his tea. That's it. Yeah. I, I thought that was a really funny moment when, when the guy came to visit him and he asked him about the, the current fashion and the guy just rattled off all of all of the current fashions that were happening back east. I thought that was, yeah. that was pretty funny. Just the way in which the, the way in which, you know, the, the, how they were talking about like the beaver pelt and everything mm-hmm. and the, you know, the, the, the native chief being like, I don't really understand you guys. Like, why aren't you eating the beaver tail? Why aren't you using the rest of this animal? You are just using up these beaver pelts and they're not even going to be in fashion. You know, like probably even by the year's end, right. it's not going to be in fashion anymore. And you're just like completely decimating the natural resources of this area. Yeah. I uh, could have used some more Ewan Bremer, Bremner in there. Love me some. Yeah. Ewan, Ewan I did not know he was in. This, I did not know he was in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he was awesome. It kind of caught me off. Yeah. Uh, overall, I, I expected to really enjoy this and I certainly wasn't let down by yeah by anything. I I kind of had a feeling that this was going to be my jam and it, it it definitely was. Uh I I will at this point, I mean I've probably said this over her last like three movies that I'll just anything that Kelly Reichardt puts out, I will immediately seek out just cuz her 100%. her movies really they just they just hit a chord with me. There were some dogs yeah. in this. I was I was hoping yeah. I was hoping for and expecting to see some dogs in this, and there were there were a couple dogs. Uh, the second one, the one that was in like the little village, I thought that who was uh, trying to get the milk. 
uh, mm-hmm. was particularly mm-hmm. adorable. For, I, I wanted more of that dog. Uh, I love it. Uh, anything else to add? First cow. Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's just very, very enjoyable. Yeah. Very soothing, relaxing movie. Mm-hmm. I would say just go into it knowing what to expect. If you've seen Kelly Reichardt's other films, you should have a good idea of how the pacing will be. Uh, if you go into it expecting some kind of like crazy Western with shootouts and stuff, you're going to be a bit disappointed because it is a uh, very kind of n- somber movie. There's not a lot of action or anything in it, but I think that if you give it a try, it, it will keep you engaged. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I, that was the thing that surprised me is how engaged and how much the, them stealing the milk and the, the threat of them getting found out, like how compelling that was to me. Yeah. Like that, I, that actually, like I was kind of hooked into that. Like, Oh my God, these guys. Yeah. And just, careful the, guys. just the scenes of him like cooking and like making the little, the little cakes and stuff and I'm surprised that A24 hasn't released a little cookbook or anything yet around that. Seems like, seems like something that they would totally do. I'm surprised they're not selling that whisk. That whisk is oh, sticks. Oh yeah, the little the stick. Old, the old yeah. bundle of sticks whisk. Mm-hmm. Mark my words. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there right now that A24 will release a first cow cookbook at some point. They're going to do something. Did you see they released an RPG for uh, Green Knight? Like no. an act, like a full-on RPG, like a tabletop role-playing game that you can buy. <laughs> I mean, it, they're certainly creative in their in their materials. That, that you gotta give them that. Yeah. All right, let's give First Cal a score. What are you gonna give it out of ten? I give it like an eight, eight and a half. Wow, nice. Uh, I'm sitting around eight on this one too. Seven and a half, eight for me on this on this one. Uh, it is available on VOD, so you can check it out. Surprisingly, it's available on VOD. I knew that they were they were really trying to get this in theaters. They were really yeah, trying. Yeah. It was it was it did come out in theaters for a very short time. Yes, right when uh, COVID was dropping, it came out March sixth in limited release. But it only played for a very, very short time before the, all the theaters got shut down. So I'm, I'm glad that it's out now and everybody can see it and they're not being weird about releasing it in theaters. Uh, all right, let's talk about some of what we're watching. We were off last week while I made this, uh, this big move. I think it might be your turn, Kevin. All right. I watched that Palm Springs. I did too. That's on my list too. Hulu record breaker. Yeah, it's isn't isn't that weird? Isn't that bizarre that 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 this movie is the one that like everybody's jumping on? I think yeah, I think it's just a matter of you know comedy, Sandberg. We're all stuck inside. Yeah, accessibility. It's just yeah, it's just kind of it's kind of perfect timing for it, and it, it, the the whole like um, Groundhog Day framework. I think for just about any type of movie immediately has a level of interest from an audience. There's because there's always something that you can do with it. I think audiences always find it interesting. Yeah. Time loops are fun. They're fun. Yeah. They're fun. Uh, this one, not really an exception. I mean, it's, it's fun enough, I guess. I think that the, the two, uh, Kristen Milioti and, Sandberg definitely have a welcome chemistry mm-hmm. that makes the, the whole affair entertaining, even though at times, it, you know, the specifics of everything uh, do get a little bit worn out or you know, a little bit lacking. Um, <clears throat> but I did find this as like a semi-interesting take on the idea of like settling down, like in terms of like commitment and then being stuck in this time loop and just the way that each character kind of you have. Samberg, who just completely becomes nihilistic and just, you know, drinks and doesn't give a shit, whatever. 
and uh, J.K. Simmons is kind of pissed off at first, and then kind of comes to realize like how nice this is, mm-hmm. actually. And I mean, I did like the little, like a little thing at the end with June Squibb's character that alludes to her being stuck in the time loop as well, yeah. which makes me think that like that's understandable because that's probably like heaven for her, mm-hmm. getting to be with the family every day, all day. But it's also just kind of ridiculous, like at the end of it. I mean, it is funny in terms of being slightly realistic relationship-wise where the man does absolutely nothing and has done absolutely nothing for a very, very long time. It seems he's been stuck in this time loop. And she's the one that takes it upon herself to, you know, learn astrophysics and yeah, everything. Of course. To figure out a way. <laughs> And then she thought, that's the only thing that got me is that she was like, yeah, let's, let's continue this relationship. Cause it's just like, we all know that that relationship is not going to make it to the end of the year. There's no way. This is just not going to happen. I'm sorry. Well, you never know. It's going to fizzle out. It's going to fizzle out. There were, there were learnings. Seem like he changed at all. I, I think, I think he's going to come out of it. A changed, a changed person. Maybe. I don't think so. Man. I don't think. Yeah, this this movie was kind of uh kind of surprising to me. I wasn't really expecting much. And truth be told, I didn't find it to be like hilariously funny or anything. I I actually no. I'm not even sure I laughed at all. But it is it was just a thoroughly enjoyable entertaining experience for me and I I was really surprised at how much I liked it. I was just fully invested into it. I I like time loop movies. However, I've seen several time loop movies that that don't do it right where they spend too much time with the actual loops where they're repeating the same thing over and over again, and I was really yeah. concerned that this was going to do that. Like at this point we all know how the time loop mechanic works and this is like this is like a situation where they don't like specifically say Groundhog Day, but it, but as soon as Andy Samberg was like, "Yeah, you're we're in a time loop," you know, Kristen uh, Milady's character is just like, "Oh, okay, like you know what it is, like you know what a time loop mm-hmm. is." To the point where, like, if I was in a time loop, day one, like the first loop, I would be like, "Oh, f- oh shit, I'm in a time loop." Like I would immediately know, you know, I wouldn't have to live the whole day over again to know that I'm in a time loop. And I thought that they, they handled that pretty well in this because that tends to get annoying or it f- wears on you. Uh, like if, yeah. you, if you revisit Groundhog Day, you know, I mean, obviously that movie's the, the thing that started the whole time loop thing. But if you revisit Groundhog Day, like there's so many scenes where it just repeats the same stuff over and over and it just it wears on you. But I thought that they did a really good yeah. job with that. And and to just sort of underscore what you were saying, Kevin, I really liked how like the underlying themes of this with like complacency and all of that stuff and just him him just accepting his life and his his station in life and how he has this sort of nihilistic approach to everything after living the same day thousands and thousands of times. I, I really liked what this movie was trying to say. Yeah, but I, I agree with you. I didn't really, I was kind of surprised. And it didn't really hurt the movie too much, but I, I kind of was surprised too that I, it wasn't as funny as I thought it was going to be. No, I mean, like comparing this to some of the other like Lonely Island things, this this isn't um, like it's produced by them. Um, the, the director, Max uh, Barbacal, it hasn't done any other stuff with them to my knowledge, but yeah, it, it's not, it's not that same style of comedy as what we would expect from the lonely Island guys. <clears throat> but yeah, check it out. Palm Springs yeah. on, on Hulu. Give it a look. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also kind of like, I was thinking like, Oh, this is the perfect time to release this because we're all essentially living the same day over and over again. Yeah. Pretty, yeah, we pretty much are. Uh, we're all living. We're all living the same. 
days over and over again. Just, so. I, I, you know, I'm just very, very thankful that mine is not at a wedding. Oh my God. Can you, can you imagine, can you imagine JK Simmons got the, he was the lucky one where he -hmm. started, he, his loop begins when he's at home. Yeah. Uh, I I saw another movie that kind of surprised me and that's the old guard. This is directed by Gina Prince. Bythewood. Oh yeah. I was, I was pleasantly surprised with this one. I wasn't expecting a whole lot. Um, we had talked about it a couple weeks ago when it was uh, g- coming out, and we were both kind of surprised that uh, this this director, who who did like Love and Basketball and um, Beyond the Lights and The Secret Life of Bees, like th- that she was handling um, this kind of sci fi comic book adaptation, and. Uh, it's pretty awesome. Like I, I gotta say, I was, I was, I really enjoyed this movie for the most part. I was a little concerned it had a little bit of a young adult vibe to it, but uh, fortunately, that's not not really the case. It's it's beyond that. It's it's much better than like a typical young adult story. What this sort of revolves around is a group of soldiers who discover that they can't die. So every century or every every it's an indeterminate amount of time there's like a a certain amount of time that passes before one of these um soldiers is discovered so you have Charlize theron who is sort of the leader of this group and she's like thousands of years old she's like super old and the other team members are varying ages but they're all like hundreds of years old and you have uh, Kiki Lane, who is the newest one. She's she's like a soldier, I think, in Afghanistan. And she gets killed and she comes back to life. And there's this sort of um, tele, telepathic bond that all of them have. So like when she comes back to life and her powers are like made clear or whatever, they all sense it. And they're like, oh, shit we see like we can see that she's here so they go grab her and teach her that like oh you can't die but the the thing is at some point during your life you will you'll stay dead they like it's completely random they don't know when it happens they don't know why but at some point you're no longer immortal it just like wears off it just leaves you and um so that's something that they're always kind of grappling with. Like, is this going to be the time? Is this going to be it? But the action scenes are really solid. I mean, the fight choreography and stuff in this is really cool, especially because if you think about it, this is a team of trained soldiers who've had hundreds of years of training and they can't die. So they're just like running into rooms, getting blasted with bullets, just tearing people up. So the action scenes are quite satisfying. And uh, yeah, I would give it a a light recommend. It's on Netflix, so check it out. Okay, all right. And Charlize is awesome in it too. I I read that she's not going to be in the new Mad Max, and I was really bummed out about that. Oh, that's not good. Nah, because it's like a prequel, so George Miller wanted someone younger. Yeah. Which I I don't I don't accept that. I don't and won't accept that. Uh, I checked out, this is on Amazon Prime, so if you have a Prime membership, you can watch Death Watch from 1980, Bertrand Tavernier. Uh, this is uh, based on the novel The Continuous Catherine Mortonhill by David G. Compton from 1973. It was a sci-fi novel that I actually read like a couple years back. Um, really interesting concept of this novel is in the future, people don't die anymore. People just, they don't die. Hmm. And a little bit of a connection there with my movie, huh? But once in a little bit, once, once in a while, you'll find someone that's going to die like a natural death, right? Like they're going to get sick. They're going to deteriorate over a short amount of time and they're going to die like in a hospital bed or, you know, something along those lines, the way that we die today. You know, some people with cancer, whatever it may be. So in the future, there's this this television station called NTB, 
And they have a, a series called Death Watch, which is once they find out one of these people is going to die, they go to them and they're like, hey, we're going to film you from the moment that you find out about your diagnosis until the moment that you die. And it's going to be this reality TV show. And everyone's going to be completely hooked because everyone's craving for like, for like suffering. You know, they want to see like real life suffering and it's like a novelty to them. So, you know, it kind of predates reality TV and all that type of stuff. And then the other kicker for this is that the cameraman for NTV is he has surgery and in the movies played by Harvey Keitel, he has surgery that his eyes are the camera. Mm. So whatever he sees is filmed. The only drawback to it is, is he can't sleep. He can't close his eyes for a long period of time. And he always has to be near a light source or it'll do, you know, irreversible damage to his eyesight. <laughs> so that, that, that plays into it. I guess my first question would be, why would you do that? He, he's all about it for some reason. He's, he's really into it. I mean, he does go into a little bit of like, uh, he gets to immortalize all these beautiful things that he sees, which I guess is like his reasoning for it. I don't know if that's a good enough one, but no, whatever. It's not. <laughs> so Rami Schneider plays uh, Catherine Morton, who she finds out she's going to die. Uh, she doesn't want to sign the contract to be on this reality TV show, and then reluctantly does in order to just get all the money, and then she immediately disappears. But what she doesn't know is that Harvey Keitel is the cameraman, he tracks her down, and all he has to do to create this show is just travel with her to wherever she's going because mm -hmm. he's filming everything along the way, and they edit it in the studio, and they're beaming it out, and she never watches TV, so she doesn't even know that it's happening. Um, it works pretty well as a film adaptation. Uh, the only thing that I had kind of an issue with is that it seems to like rigidly stick to the plot points of the book, even though it does skip over large chunks of it, you know, for, for time's sake. Um, but it never really like expands or gets into like an exploration outside of like the surface level stuff, the stuff that's kind of like inherent with this reality TV and, you know, all that stuff, voyeurism, uh, longing for connection, that kind of thing. Like it's just, it's pretty straightforward and it's just pop point, pop point, pop point. Like the filmmaking is pretty good too. And also the the TV executive of MTV is played by Harry Dean Stanton. Mm. So you have a pretty damn good cast yeah. in this movie. And her former husband, who shows up like towards the end of the movie, is played by Max von Sydow. So, mm. I mean. Nice. You got, you got some fucking talent in there. You got some movie. heavy hitters in there. Yeah. Like it's, it's pretty. I say definitely check it out. It's definitely worth a look because I think just the idea, you know, this idea of this, like this is a sci-fi movie, it's, just, it, it's really interesting. I mean, this sounds like right up my alley. I'm definitely interested in this. I will, I will most certainly check out Death Watch, especially because it's, Death you Watch. said it's on Prime, right? Yeah. That's the only unfortunate thing is Death Watch makes it sound like this, this is like really action-packed thing. It's right. not. It's very, you know, it's very like philosophical. Uh, maybe not as much as I wanted it to be, but you know, it's kind of a slow-moving movie. Yeah, I'm cerebral okay. sci-fi. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Last week there was a big Criterion sale at Barnes and Noble, as they do a couple times a year. And normally I'm just like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll pick something up, you know, on one of them. I'm not. I, I rarely take advantage of the Criterion sales. What I'm saying now. Most of the time, I'm fortunate enough for cartoons to send me the stuff, but they didn't send me the bo these box sets. So I got the Godzilla box set, and I picked up the Bruce Lee box set. Uh, now, the Bruce Lee box set, um, that's mostly just like a collect collector thing. Like I've seen all the Bruce Lee movies, most of them multiple times. Um, I'm excited to revisit Enter the Dragon. That's my favorite of his, and um, so I'm, I'm excited to revisit that. But uh, the Godzilla box set is what has me really intrigued. And I, I almost bought it when it came out, but I just couldn't quite justify that price tag, but 50% off. I mean, it's right there. Come on. It's a no brainer. So yeah. Oh yeah. 
I I started diving into Godzilla, and um, as it turns out, I never saw the original Godzilla. I don't think, like I, I kind of thought that I did, but when I watched it this week, uh, yeah, I don't remember a single thing. So I'm pretty sure I never actually saw the original 1954 Godzilla. Now, one of the things that bummed me out about this set was that uh, the Toho didn't want the English dub to be available on, on this. There's some, some of them have the English dub, but a lot of them don't. It's only the Japanese audio with uh, subtitles. And for these movies, I actually wanted the English dub because that's how I remember watching monster movies when I was younger was with the like, you know, really bad English dubbing. Mm-hmm. It kind of adds to the entertainment factor for me. So I was a little bummed about that, but um, I didn't. I didn't realize this until actually diving into it. They did include the 1956 American version of Godzilla, which is basically the same as the Japanese version. Only they like cut a lot of the non-Godzilla stuff out and put in American actors. So it was, it was almost like a a Power Rangers situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's on here. I didn't watch that. I, I just watched the original one. But so far, I only watched the first two, which was the original one, and then Godzilla Raids again. The first Godzilla, I think, is a must-see. It's, uh, it holds up incredibly well for being as old as it is. Like, when you're watching it, you know, some of the effects work, you're just like, oh, boy. But then some of it, you're just like, wow, that is really impressive for 1954. Like, that looks pretty damn good for 1954. Specifically when there's a scene when Godzilla first uses, like, his atomic breath and like melts these um like uh power lines these like transistors and stuff and it looked really it just looks really cool i think a lot of the model work is is really impressive in this movie too some of it's uh there, there's like a really weird edit that happens in it though which kind of blew my mind because i'm like how did they le- not fix that it, it just looks so bad um but anyway f- I think that the first Godzilla is still very, very much worthy of a watch. The sequel, I can't really say the same about. Godzilla Raids Again, this came out just a year later, and it was sort of rushed to to theaters. It rushed into production because of the massive success of the first Godzilla. And it's a different director, so the, the second one's directed by uh, Motoyoshi Oda, and it just feels a lot like cheaper and kind of crappy. Uh, there's this really great scene when there's they're shooting like rockets at Godzilla, and the it's so clearly like little toy people <laughs> at this thing. Like they don't they're not even trying to hide the fact that it's like little toy men standing at these yeah. rockets. Uh, it just looks so ridiculous, and like the. The fact that all of the like fishing line is so visible in this one, I felt like they hide they hit it a lot better in the first one. Um, but this is the first this is the first Godzilla where Godzilla actually fights another monster, so that that was kind of cool. However, the the way that they shot the monster fight was uh, I, I don't know how to describe it. It looked really bad, like. Um, it was like they did something with the timing. It was like undercranked or something, and it just looked so. It looked like two people just wrestling. It just it was pretty awful. But <laughs> but at any rate, that is my journey into Godzilla. I hope my goal is to watch every Godzilla movie before year's end. That is that is the goal. Well, I have plenty of time. So. I have plenty of time, but I learned that there's 36 Godzilla movies. So, yeah. Which, I mean, thinking about, this is probably your best time to do it. Uh, yeah. I don't think you're going to get unless we have another pandemic. Which I think we will. Yeah, well, we probably will. It's probably just going to be one long pan and one never-ending pandemic is my guess. Could be. We're just we're going to layer pandemics on top of mm-hmm. Multiple. End up being a fucking Big Mac of goddamn pandemics. Yeah. 
I think that's that could be the direction we're headed. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's. I, I'm probably actually not going to watch the Hollywood ones, so that knocks like f- I think four of them off right there. The Roland Emmerich one, and then two yeah, new that. ones. And I think there was another one in there somewhere. So, so yeah, I'm looking at like maybe 32 Godzilla movies. I don't know if I'm going to watch the animated ones either. Mm, Netflix, gotcha. Netflix put out the animated ones recently, so I may stop at Shin Godzilla because that's oh, it. Seems like a really place to stop. I know. It seems like a really good place oh, to stop. Movie, so goddamn good. I did learn like so like as far as the Japanese uh, Godzilla movies, they've all been released by Toho, so it's it is possible that Criterion could. Uh, work out a way to release a second box set with you know 15 more or more of the of the movies which would be really cool but the yeah there's 15 in the box set included so uh if you don't want to drop the money for this box set uh, a lot of these are available on the Criterion channel and a lot of them are available on HBO Max. So if you have HBO Max or the Criterion channel, you can check out uh, a bunch of them on there. Get them. Yeah. Hey, the movie that I watch is also available on the Criterion channel. And it's also a part of a box set. And that's the box set, the, the third installation uh, box set of Martin Scorsese's World Cinema Project. Mm, mm-hmm. Uh, so say what you will about Martin Scorsese, right? But when it comes to him and his work for World Cinema Project, uh, I've been wanting to watch a Med Hondo movie for like decades, right? And I can't find his movies anywhere. I mean, you can download them illegally, but I don't have access to that stuff. So I can never watch a Med Hondo movie heard such great things all these years and because of martin scorsese i get to watch a med hondo movie finally his feature debut from 1967 so oh is going to be a part of the world cinema project it's on criterion channel now um and it's available for the first time by legal means uh and it's like a part narrative feature part essay film it kind of cuts between the two with relative ease. It can, you know, it moves in between each one. Uh, and it's about a group of African immigrants. The main guy, the main character is played by uh, Robert Linsoll, who, I mean, judging from this movie, should have been like a massive star. And he wasn't. Um, but it's this group of African immigrants uh, facing like racial oppression in in France in all matter of sizes, you know, from the micro transgressions to, you know, the bigger stuff. And uh, it's a tough watch because it's really painfully relevant to today's climate, especially because so much of it is um, like the French complaining about the, the migrant invasion the immigrant invasion, they're taking all their jobs, even though they admit that it's jobs that none of them want to do. But they just, just more and more people just keep coming and, you know, they're losing their Frenchness. You know, they're losing their national identity. But at the same time, they're the ones asking for the immigrants to come to do these jobs that they don't want to do. And they don't want to pay the immigrants anyway. So, you know, they're creating their own, you know, they're creating this situation that they hate, they, them themselves hate. Um, so it's this really, the thing that kind of surprised me is it's, I kind of felt, or I kind of going into it was expecting this to be pretty experimental, which it is, but it's never like overly obtuse. Uh, and it's, never like overwhelmingly like heady in its discussion. However, it does get like philosophical and or like academic at times, but it never crosses that line and becomes like too much or unnecessarily complicated. You know, it, it does a pretty good job of like balancing that with like light, like semi comedic bits that happen here and there. 
And even though it is light at times, it's also very sharp and blunt in its accusations and its implications. And uh, it's definitely worth a look. I mean, I'm just, I'm very happy that I finally got to see a Met Hondo movie. Nice. And that's available on the Criterion channel. So check it yeah. out. Check it out there. Do it. Okay, let's take a look at what we have on VOD this week. We have the Grand Unified Theory of Howard Bloom that comes out on the 21st. We have The Rental. This is on the 24th. This is Dave Franco's feature debut. I'm interested in this. A little bit of a thriller. Got some uh, good people in it, so I'll be checking this one out. Maybe we'll review it on the show. I don't even know. We'll see. We'll see what our options are. Yeah. We got Radioactive. That's going to, I think that's going to be on Amazon Prime, if I'm not mistaken. That is uh, about um, Marie Curie, played by Rosamund Pike. A little bit of a biopic okay. there. All right. We have Retaliation. This is with uh, Orlando Bloom. Looks ridiculous. We have. Yes, God, Yes. That is a virtual theatrical release starring Natalia Dyer from Stranger Things. Looks like a bit of a uh, coming-of-age story, coming-of-age comedy, maybe. We have mm. we have Baby Splitters. That's a comedy. Splitting babies, huh? Yeah. Split, splitting up those babies. What? The comedy. Indie comedy. We got Fisherman's Friends. That's also a comedy. Some bands can't be managed. Mm, that's true. <laughs> Come on now. Come on now with that tagline. Uh, that's all I have on the VOD calendar. Uh, this might be slightly out of date uh, because of my move. I haven't added everything that I think is coming out. So I'm going to try to get that updated this week. So check back on the VOD calendar on the site for all the latest editions. On Blu-ray this week, uh, we have Airplane from 1980. This is coming out on the Paramount Presents label. This is number seven on the Paramount Presents. The This is going to be a remastered version of Airplane. Okay. So I'm, right. I'm into that. I'm into the remastered Airplane. Uh, we also have Ghost from 1990. That is also on the Paramount Presents label. Uh, Clueless from 1995 that's going to be a 25th anniversary edition can you believe that 25 years 25 years god we are old god we are old Uh, let's see what else we got here Scoob that's the uh, animated one from earlier this year we have Mephisto from 1981 Better Off Dead from 1985 that's a steelbook edition um a bunch of classics are coming out, including The World in His Arms, Gregory Peck from 1952, Arabian Nights from 1942, Alibaba and the Forty Thieves from 1944, Buccaneer's Girl from 1950, uh, Samurai Marathon from last year is coming out. This is this is worth a look. This was a really, really cool movie about the, the like the first marathon run. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Tommy Boy from 1995. Getting a steel book release. Uh, Cap- Capone from earlier this year, the Tom Hardy one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, go back and listen to our mm-hmm. review f- on that one. Torment from 1986 is coming out. You Don't Know Me, which is the documentary about showgirls. That's coming out. Uh, Son of Alibaba from 1952 is coming out. Colonel, Colonel Reddle uh, is from 1985 is coming out that's going to be on Kino Kino Lorber uh, Bloodstone from 1988 is coming out on Arrow Confidence from 1980 that's also the a Kino release uh, John Wick chapters 1 through 3 is getting a 4K release it's a little little mini box set I guess Resistance from uh, I guess it was earlier this year that that movie came out. That's the one with Jesse Eisenberg, where he play, plays a like French Resistance member. What? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Very strange. What? Yeah, very strange. Uh, Room from last year is coming out. Sorry, The Room from last year is coming out. That's on Shutter. So if you have Shutter, you can watch it there. 
Survive the Night, starring Bruce Willis, is coming out. Reality Bites getting a new Blu-ray release. Been meaning to revisit Reality Bites. Gonna do that soon for the '90s show, I think. Sea Biscuit coming out. Remember Sea Biscuit? Sea Biscuit. That was all the rage. All the rage there for a minute. Mm. Everybody loved Sea Biscuit. Mm. What an inspirational yeah. journey Sea Biscuit was. I don't know. There's just something about Sea Biscuit. It's just the funniest thing to me. <laughs> I didn't. The movie about it's very, the race horse. If you watch it, it's very bad. Like it's not a good movie. Like the dialogue is so it's it is. so it's very cheesy. Doesn't hold up. Uh, Arrow is releasing Blood Hunger, the f- the films of Jose Larraz. This is three movies included in in this. Three of them. Yeah. Um, Whirlpool, Vampires, and uh, the Coming of Sin. Mm. Mm-hmm. So maybe check that out. Not familiar with uh, this director's work, but I'm interested. Uh, that's pretty much it. What about Criterion's? We got two. Uh, one is Marriage Story, no Bomba. Mm. That that Netflix deal that they they came to agreement on. Bunch of behind the scenes programs, interviews, all that kind of stuff. You know, stuff that you would come to expect on Criterion. And then uh, Curse Tommy's Taste of Cherry, which have, if you have not seen Taste of Cherry, do so. Very great movie. Much better than Marriage Story. If you had to pick between the two, always go with Taste of Cherry. Did you see Marriage Story? No, but okay. I just know. Yeah. I wasn't. <laughs> oh. I don't need that. It had its moments, but yeah, I don't know about Criterion worthy. Speaking of no. Criterions, we we since we were off last week, we didn't talk about the Bruce Lee box set that came out on Criterion. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's out now. So check that out. Get it. There's a lot of a lot of better options than Marriage Story. Let's just be honest. Yeah, I think so. All right, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, consider giving us a review on your podcast platform of choice. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. <laughs>